Hey, good morning, All Shore. So glad that you're here with us today, either in person or online. Hey, before we begin, I just want to share one of my favorite stories from Scripture. It's the story of Jesus at the house of Mary and Martha. And if you recall in that passage, it just talks about how while Jesus is visiting with them, Martha is kind of in the other room busy and working on things. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And I don't know about you, I personally am an Enneagram 3. I don't know any other Enneagram 3s in the room. I'm, I'm somebody who's driven by doing things and by achieving things. And so for me, often, it's easy to find myself relating to Martha, to doing things for the Lord. But I'm sensing this morning for us that Jesus wants to invite us to be like Mary to sit at his feet and just invite him to be present with us, that we don't have to do or accomplish things, but that we can just be present with Jesus. And so in this season of Lent, I think that we can just, whatever we bring in with us, whatever we're carrying, that we can lay those things at Jesus's feet. With that, I wanna invite you to stand and I wanna invite you to place your arms out, palms facing upward, and just invite Jesus to meet us here today that whatever you've brought in with you, that Jesus wants you to lay it at his feet. So picture Jesus being right in front of you and just picture yourself asking God, Lord, take the stuff that I carry right now. Lord, may I only focus on you today. And I pray that over our service, God, I just pray that you would meet with us as we remove the things that we carry. God, that we could just be fully present with you. Jesus, thank you for meeting with us today. Be with us now as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.
words just seem so profound today that we can speak to that fear and that anxiety and say that I belong to you God that those things they don't have any power in this room God in our lives especially when you are there Jesus you bring so much hope so much goodness God 
It is so hard to sometimes slow ourselves down enough to just sit at your feet, Jesus, and just realize who you are, how much you love us. Spirit, I would just ask that you'd fill this room with that love. In Jesus' name.
So we pour out our prayers. 
on church, sing it out. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour it out, God. It's your breath our lungs, we pour out Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. Come on, church. Do we serve a God who's worthy of our praise? Amen. Amen. He's reminded of these words in Psalm 46. Here's what they say. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. For there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of that city and it shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. And I've got to believe that there's someone here today who needs God's help this morning, that we don't have everything that we need. But that's the reason why we gather every seven days, because God has something for each one of us this morning. Amen? And so if that's you this morning, if you feel like you need God's help or encouragement, Can I just encourage you, would you just take a seat as we enter into prayer? And if you do, you might experience some hands around you, whether stretched out towards you or maybe laid on you. And that's just to remember that we are one body, the body of Christ, that we're here to support each other, to encourage each other, to lift each other up when one of us is down. And so let's go together in prayer this morning. God, we look to you today. And we affirm that you are our ever-present help. That when the mountains shake, when the earth is shaking, God, that you are ever-present. That you're in the midst of our city, in the midst of our lives, bringing calm to the chaos. And so I just pray for every single person under the sound of my voice, God, you know exactly what they need. God, I pray that you would put something inside of them that they did not have when they walked in. God, we want to follow you. We want to love you. Would you help us where we're weak? And God, we don't just pray for ourselves, but we pray for this world that you created, this world that you love so much that you sent your son to save it. And and we know that we're just one part of it. And so God, we pray for, for the world and for the partnerships that we have all across the globe. We lift up specifically this morning, Dina Horn, who works for Global Partners and, and leads the next um, program. God, we just pray that you would continue to raise up a generation who wants to follow you wherever it takes them to spread your good news and to spread light and salt wherever they are. And so, God, we just pray that you would continue to, to help them, that you'd continue to send people out to do your work. God, we also just pray as we approach Easter, God, we know that there are so many people in our own neighborhood, in our own workplaces, in our own schools, in different settings that feel so far from you and they can't find their way back, that they need someone to come alongside them 
to help them, to encourage them, and to invite them in. So God, I just pray for the people around us. Maybe we don't even know their names. But God, they'd be acquaintances that, that we bump into at the grocery store or at the gas station or in line when we're picking up our kids. God, I just pray that you'd give us a heart for the people around us, that you would give us eyes to see people just like you see them. And I pray that you would help us to give us courage to walk across the street, to engage people and invite them to, to come along with us. And so God, we just pray for everything in the midst of us. We know that you're here today. And God, we do. We promise to give you all the glory, all the praise and all the honor. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And somebody said, Amen and amen. Well, if you're in the house, you can take a seat. So glad that you're with us. Is it 60 degrees? Come on, somebody. Wearing a short sleeve shirt of all things. So excited for that. My name's Evan. Super excited to be up here to be with you. One of the pastors here. And I just want to give a big shout out to those of you who are new um, for the first time and for the first time in a long time. Come on, church. Can you show our guests some love? We're so glad that you're here. Thank you for choosing to spend a part of your weekend with us. We would love to connect with you. We'd love to get to know you. And the best way we know how to do that, there should be a um, connection card in the seat back in front of you. If you wanna take that, fill that out sometime throughout our service. You could take it at the end of our service. There's a booth in our lobby. It's called the Connection Point, And we would love to, to give you a gift to put something in your hands. Just say, thank you so much for being here. Um, if you're newer to All Shores and haven't done this yet, we'd also love it if you want to follow us on social media at All Shores Wesleyan. Um, we have a lot of events coming up, a lot of reminders, a lot of helpful things that I think you would want to be in the know on. And this is also the time in the service where we give back to God, remembering ultimately that everything that we have is His. And He's made us a steward over that. And so we give back a portion of that because we believe that we can do so much more together than any of us could ever do apart. And so if you wanna participate in that this morning, we would love for you to join us in that. The ways to give are on the screen behind me, or there are boxes as you head out on the doors today attached to the wall that if you wanna give there, you can too. Well, we have a great rest of our service planned for you this morning. Why don't we turn our eyes to the screen for what comes next? Hey, All Shores, Easter Sunday is coming up, and I want to take a moment right now to encourage you to begin to think about the people that you can invite to join us on Easter Sunday. As a helpful tool, we've created flyers and invitation cards that you can take with you and give to people that you think would really enjoy Easter Sunday at All Shores. Again, it's a time of the year we just get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's always better when we're together with the people that we love. And so start now, inviting people to Easter. It's going to be a great weekend, and we can't wait to see you and all the people you bring with you there.
I want to welcome those joining us online and all of you here at the Spring Lake campus. We are in the third Sunday of the season that's called Lent. It's a season that we take an inward journey leading up to the very recalling and reliving the very death and resurrection of Jesus at Easter. And so we're in a series we've titled of Cultivating Kingdom character, if you will. And uh, I want to invite you, before we open the scriptures, to pray in the quiet, that we're asking in this season that God would search us, that even as Thad the first week talked about the idea of looking for the log in your own eye and not the speck somewhere else, there's an introspection. And and it's not, I want to be clear, especially if you're new or visiting or have negative kind of thoughts of how God's exacting and out to get you, that we believe this is a time when God lovingly helps us to see what's in us and helps us in it, not another finger pointing to just blast us. And so would you pray in the quiet that God would speak to you and lead you, uh, and then I'll pray for us together. Lord, I thank you that you speak to us in the quiet. And so I ask whatever any of our postures are, that in our own quietness, as we listen, you'd speak. That you'd show your love, your presence, your kindness, and you'd lead us, Lord, into your character and your transforming power. Lord, I ask that anything that I have to say that's not from you, it would fall to the ground, it would be forgotten. I do pray that anything that is from you, Lord, that your spirit would breathe life into us now and you would speak. Lord, I join with the psalmist praying that the words I speak, the way we respond in our hearts and actions would please you, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said, amen. amen. We all agree it's true. It's what we're asking for. <clears throat> there is a, an Instagram account that I have enjoyed following called Preacher Sneakers. I don't know if you've seen it or not or know about it. An individual, actually, this started, he was taking pictures of different preachers, famous ones in particular, and somewhere along the way decided to search some of their clothing and found out that these, as a group, they particularly seem to like very expensive sneakers. So he started to post the actual value of sneakers, like, this one's worth 800 this one's 3500 and And it, of course, was both funny and a bit fearful for everyone, like, oh, no. And, and, and then we have lots of other settings where this is true, don't we? Where we hear about wealthy preachers and their actual worth, even some of them in the hundreds of millions. And it, what it does is for many, it casts doubts on both the teachings of Jesus and the idea that what's the church say about money and anything we say, we have a lot of skepticism about. And, uh, and I want to say that to you today because we're, as we're looking in the series on cultivating kingdom character, one of the largest issues Jesus speaks to is wealth. All through the Gospels, he gives significant cautions about what can happen. And I tell you that because, first of all, I think sometimes I've even shied away from saying some things out of concern you might think I have a hidden agenda for me or the church, or just thinking we're overcoming the skepticism people have of negative experiences of the church. And so I want to say this before we get into it is, I'm asking you just to listen to the teaching of Jesus and do not let any other notions or thoughts about it hinder what Jesus is actually saying and teaching that we're entering into. What does Jesus say about this? 
And what does it mean for our character? Because this is a bigger topic Jesus deals with in all four gospels. And we tend as a community to be very skeptical because we can write leaders off. Can we agree? That's what we often do. Hey, if I can get your motives are bad, I can dismiss what Jesus said. So I'm inviting you in to consider what he's saying, not my view, not even anything I'm asking for us as a church, which I'm not actually in this particular text, uh, though I do ask it at times. Uh, I'm not asking that now. And so I want you just to consider that the greed of pastors and the greed of churches, which we all can contend with, is more symptomatic of the greed of our very culture, that let's be honest, money is at the center of a lot of our lives, and it's a means to an end that we seek significant things from. So having said that, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, and I want to give you what Jesus says prior to where we're going. We're going to hear one interaction, a question, and a story he tells, a parable about wealth from it. So at the beginning of the chapter, he's actually challenging his disciples to not be like the Pharisees. He says they're hypocrites. And even later, he talks about how the Pharisees clean the outside of the cup, but not the inside. In other words, they want to appear spiritual, but they're really about their own life and what's best for them. And they actually would be symptomatic of some of what Jesus is going to talk about coming up. He goes on to caution his disciples that, listen, you've got to care about what the Father sees in us because they're going to go through a lot of difficulty and persecution. He's like, don't fear those who can take your life. Fear the one who is for your eternity. In other words, God has consequence and benefit, if you will, even beyond life, that he's the one who watches over all of it. He begins to tell them, listen, God looks after the ravens. He looks at your day-to-day life. Don't worry about all this stuff. You've got to trust. And so he's basically beginning talking about trusting the Lord in the midst of it. And he even goes on to say, the Spirit's going to give you what you need in your circumstances. So imagine, this is what he's talking about, and he's interrupted by a question. So as he's talking, suddenly someone in the crowd just chimes in a question. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So, so suddenly this man interjects and Jesus is hit with, now I've got to deal with this situation. This guy's telling me to be a mediator between he and his brother and it's all about his resource. It's about his money. Now, consider his circumstance. His dad has passed away. He now needs, he's thinking about resources because it's his future. He's in a moment where suddenly he's worried about what is my future, what are my resources, and he's advocating for his inheritance. Is it very typically in the Jewish culture, the eldest got a double portion, and everybody else got a single. So I just want you to know, money's on his mind. Now, can you consider times when money's on your mind? Just think of the points in life when money is on our minds. Sometimes it's regularly. I know when we had very little, money was on our minds like, how is this going to work this week? What's that mean for next week? Are my guitar students going to show up for the extra we need? Because if they don't show up, I'm in trouble. How's this bill going to get paid? We have those things we have little. But make no mistake, as we have more and there's discretionary, and for many of you, there can be well beyond that, money can be on our minds for lots of reasons. It could be on our minds when a refrigerator doesn't work. It could be on our minds when our car's beginning to fail us. It could be on our minds as our kids begin to have more activities or we think about their college or our future or our retirement or fill in the blank, we have money on the brain for lots of reasons and lots of times. And we even worry often about what will happen in the world around us because it might affect our money, our economics. So we carry a lot of concern and it's on our brains a lot. And like Jesus is teaching, he's interrupted with one person going, this is on my mind, I need you to speak to this. Now I want you to consider this as 
we go into the text and even go into this, what might be on your mind right now, and even beyond that, I want you to just consider for a minute this blank. If only I had, and you fill in the amount, you fill in the economics, then I'd be happy and at peace. I want you to just ask yourself that question for a minute. And then for those of you who might have said a different number earlier, has it changed? Or now is it different? And I can tell you, we know that that number never satisfies. Can we agree on that? That money is elusive, and yet we all deal with the economics of our lives, and we all have to face what's going on inside of us. So I'm really enjoying the quietness <laughs> as I say all this to you. Thanks so much. I brought a friend. This is not the Sunday I banked on. Remember, I'm not teaching to get something from you. I'm inviting you to consider what Jesus says about our character and how our money and how our view of money impacts it. So listen to how Jesus responds. We're going to hear him respond. And then ultimately, he's going to give a caution. He's going to tell a story to take it deeper. But he replies, man, who appointed me the judge and arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Against all kinds of greed, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now make no mistake, the level of wealth in this time in history is nowhere near the level of ours. We would be, they would look at us and go, you are kings and queens. But he's giving a caution right away that greed comes in many shapes and forms. And if you think of greed, it's really thinking of the fact that what happens with greed is we want more for us in order to build something up in us, for us, and about us. Like greed can be about wealth. I'm going to amass more wealth. It can be about status. That's one sort of greed we can get. It can be about elevated reputation. It can be about the fact that wealth creates honor or fame or connectedness. But greed can capture all of us, can't it? I, I will give you the simplest pathway, and every time I fly, I realize, man, we are in a system of greed, and I want more of it. Like, it's, it's horrible. I'm not proud of this. But So when you fly, just consider that flying gives you the spectrum of people in our culture. There are some that can't afford to fly at all. The idea of flying is like, you have enough to fly? That's amazing. There are many that can't do that. Then when you get on a plane, you know that you go in tiers, don't you? In case you don't, you do. There's first class. In places like Delta, there's Comfort Plus. Then there's General. And the General usually has two different seating. So what happens is, if you're in the best seats, you get put on first. So you can sit and enjoy whatever drinks they give you and other things while you watch the, those sad little people pass you by. <laughs> Then if you're in the Comfort Plus, you get to go, I'm not quite up there, but I get to watch the people that are sadder than me walk by. <laughs> then if in the back, I'm like, well, I'm kind of sad. Maybe I at least got an exit row. But if I'm in the last group, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'll just put the shame collar on as I walk and hope there's a place to put my carry-on luggage. And then there's another level of wealth where people actually fly executive private jets. Now, can we understand how we live in this system? And can we all agree that every one of us has some desire to move up that chain in some way because we begin to attach value to ourselves the higher up we move. And that's just one small picture of what happens to seduce our hearts, isn't it? 
One small picture, when he says, be on your guard, life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions, that we all can have a sense of our accomplishment and the amazing things we have and who we are as a greater conduit because of it. You know, I grew up in a, in a more affluent community, much, much like I would say this area is. And by the way, I didn't cause any of it. Not that you thought I did. But as a teenager, I remember uh, I got to drive a 318i BMW that was new. You know why? Because I'm better than other people. <laughs> Clearly, you know that's not true. I'm just, do you realize when you have something nicer and you don't even earn it, it's really easy to think, I'm pretty awesome. Now, I went into ministry, which was not the path to continue on that path, in case you wondered. Uh, but I'm amazed at how even, even things we don't necessarily earn, we can be that way about, and how much more when we actually accomplish something, can we begin to say, I'm better than, you're less than, and greed can begin to take shape in us. So Jesus is giving this beginning, and then he tells a story. Here's the caution, and watch out, because guess what? Every one of us is going to be tempted to be greedy. And, and let me just say it this way. Wealth seduces our hearts. I, I want to say it again so we all know. Wealth seduces our hearts. Now, I'm not saying, and this is the caution to all of us, please do not look and go, you know, I'm at that level where my heart's not seduced, but let me tell you about the eight people I know that make a lot more, and they definitely have trouble. Me, not so much. Let's just be clear. Anyone's heart can be seduced at any level. And what did I say earlier? Let's look at the log in us. Let's not look for specs. Let's just go, can we agree it's easy to be seduced by any taste of this and different levels of it, both in our identity and character and in our selfishness? So Jesus now is going to tell a story to give more picture to it. <clears throat> And he says this, he tells a parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. You see what's already happening, I hope. And I want to be clear too on this. It's great with the harvest because it reminds you you know, the harvest is reliant. You can sow seed, but the harvest is reliant upon the rains and the circumstances to grow it. And make no mistake, some of you may be successful and even done some great things, but your circumstances helped you get there. What we do is we tend to go, man, I'm a pretty amazing dude or dudette. I overcame this stuff. Sorry, I don't know how to be specific on those things. I, I did this and I'm different than other people. That's what we start to tell ourselves. I must be made of a different cloth and a better character. Now he continues. Then I'll say to myself, hey, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? In other words... When we begin to let wealth seduce us, we begin to live for our present and our future and our pleasure, and this is what we begin to tell ourselves, I des ourselves, I deserve this, this is for me, and I've earned it, and too bad for everyone else, kind of. I've made it my way, I'm independent of everyone else. I told you you'd enjoy the discomfort today, and I'm enjoying the sheer look on your faces of like, man, tell, tell us something else. Nope, this is what you get. That's what the scripture says. 
This is how he ends it. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, we often hear things like this, rich toward God, and you're like, what does that mean? And is God kind of keeping track? Okay, God saw that I did this for me. I'm not doing things for others. So he's going to treat it like a transaction, and you're going to get it sooner or later because you didn't. And that's not what this means. I want you to understand there's a bunch of different translations that treat this differently, but it gives more explanation. Like the message says it this way, um, you fill your barn with, with yourself instead of with God. In other words, everything you're doing is to build yourself up, not to live in relationship with God. That's what the NLT says. It's the idea that we're basically living for ourselves and not even connecting to who God is, his character, his heart, and his way. You might even say it's foolishness because we're living for ourselves. And he gives this huge caution that quite honestly, when we live for ourselves, we can't take it with us. And I don't think we really think about that. We actually think this is, in case you don't know, life itself is short. Okay, just thought I'd give you that good news today. And whatever you amass is a pin in eternity. And yet we treat it as if by doing this, it is our future. And we're almost investing in ourselves forever. And this is how we will live. Reminds me of a story where a man told his wife, I, I do want to take it with me. I, I, he'd worked his whole life to make money. He said, I'm gonna, I want you to put a box together and literally put my money in the box and bury it with me because I'm taking it. And, and he went over it with her multiple times. And she assured him she would accommodate what he wanted when he passed. So sure enough, they get to the funeral and a friend of her sees her taking a box and putting it in the coffin. And she's like, I cannot believe that you're giving all of your money up, all the money he's made. All he's gonna do is sit there. She said, it's what he told me. I promised I would do it. So I wrote him a check. (laughs) That is a brilliant woman, isn't it? (laughs) Who understood the reality that guess what? You can't take it with you. It's not true. We live for a moment that ends like that and we don't really see the holistic picture and we lose sense of character and heart because really wealth can seduce us. Well, Jesus goes on from here and he actually begins to talk about worry and anxiety, people fearful of what they won't have because that's the other side of this. You can be seduced by it and you can be fearful if you don't have it. And he begins to tell the people around him, listen, life is a lot more than your food and your clothes. And he says, listen, that's what pagans run after. In other words, when you don't believe in God, you live for what you can have for you. And then he tells them, you got to seek his kingdom. His kingdom is what's real life. That's what he keeps saying, his kingdom, the Lord's kingdom. That's an emphasis. That's why we've said in this series, we're cultivating kingdom character. So then Jesus says again, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, you flock, basically, for your father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. And then this is the advice he gives. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that do not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I've, I've listened to these kind of passages, and this one in particular, multiple times over the, my life. And I've also often heard it like a transaction. Like, listen, if my treasure is things for me, that's where I'm going to pour it out and my heart's going to be there. If my treasure is in things that are eternal, God's going to see that 
And basically, it's like I'm building my eternal bank account. That's kind of how we treat it. Oh, if I do these things that God wants me to, he'll reward me later. And I want you to understand, that's not what this means. You see, what he's really saying is, you know what? When you help the poor, you're discovering God's very heart and character. So he's not saying it's a transaction for later. He's saying when you live in a way that you become generous and you become compassionate and you become caring about the people around you most in need, you actually cultivate the very heart of God. And by the way, which do you think helps love people better? A heart that says I'm better than you and I have more than you and I'm protecting my stuff? Or a heart that says I see my own brokenness and my own poverty and in it I want to love you the way God has loved me? That's the difference. You see, this, this has been really, I, I went through Luke in a very slow way this last year, and Luke speaks of this over and over and over and over again. And it's the first time something hit me differently in the life of the church and even in my own calling as a pastor. Because I'll often think I need to talk more about being generous and giving because that's what God wants and you need to give things to his kingdom and things that advance him because it's good and you'll benefit from it. And what I realized was, no, no, this is actually... Jesus is saying, listen, when you don't give and you protect yourself and you live for yourself, your heart shrinks and you will become proud and you will think you're better than others and you will hinder the very character God wants to cultivate in you. In other words, your lack of giving is your own punishment or consequence because you keep believing you're somehow better than and others are less than. So my need to share it is for you. It's not for me. It's not for the church. It's not even necessarily for those in poverty, though it is. At the core of it, it's about helping your own heart. If I were to say it this way, it's just that wealth can seduce our hearts. And and I'll be very clear. I am not saying I'm immune to it or I don't struggle with it. It does not take much for me to get that's positive to, to feed that. Like, I don't even need a big reward. Just give me something small that makes me feel a little bit better, and I want more. I mean, I'm like, I'm like the Lay's potato chips dude with, with anything I get. Like, oh my gosh, this is good. Let me keep going. I need more. My heart gets fueled pretty quickly from little things that can feel better. That's why I use the example of something as stupid and simple as getting on a flight. When you get a better seat, man, it's fun. It's fun to watch people be angry and go... Yes, I used to be that way. But I've, I've evolved. I'm better. I've earned this. I'm going to go take a better seat. Good luck. Good luck, you minions. Until I'm a minion again, which is most of the time. Then I find minions that are less than me, so I can do that still. This is the sadness of my heart. But, but can we agree? We worry, and we ache, and we long for more. That's the seduction that's inside of us. And it comes lots of ways. I, I want to be clear. Jesus talks about this multiple times in multiple stories. And I won't even try to cover all of Luke. But let me just give you three stories he tells in Luke that are parables or situations that go on that give us this image because they come up again and again and again. So in Luke, later in the, in the gospel account, we have a guy come to him who says he's the rich young ruler. And he comes. He's a very pious religious man. He's trying to live by all the law. And he basically asks Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? How can I live in a way that honors God? And basically Jesus says, you know the commands? And he goes, yeah, I do all those. Which, by the way, is not true, but that's a story for another time. 
So then Jesus says, here's the one thing you don't have. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And follow me. By the way, which of those two things do you think is bigger? It's follow me. He's saying, let go of everything that you seduced to your heart and follow me. Because guess what? Following me in the kingdom, that's better than anything you have. That's what he's telling them. And the guy's bummed and he goes away. Doesn't do it. The next chapter, literally the next story, is a story of a guy named Zacchaeus, who everybody knows was a wee little man. I have such affection for that. I'm on a stage, so you can't tell, but I am a very small man. Uh, Maybe you can't tell. It doesn't matter. Uh, Zacchaeus has been a tax collector. He's stolen money from people to make his wealth. And ultimately, Jesus has him, he's going to go to, Jesus is going to his house with a lot of other people. And Zacchaeus' response is to make things right. He not only gives back what he should to correct the misjustice of carrying more money, he gives extra away and begins to help others discover and wants to follow Jesus. So what we have is a person we would say is pious and religious and really a pagan mess. And which one follows and which one gives up? This one. So you're like, oh no, I wonder how much of me can be religious and even think God's giving me these things so my life is better and God wants this and I'm seduced by it. And the more we have, the harder it is to give up, isn't it? I mean, this is always what I get to. I think, oh, I'm gonna tell everybody to sell their stuff and give it to the poor and you all look at me like you're an idiot. And, and I, I am an idiot. I mean, but that is what it says. If it was keeping you from loving others, you probably should. Like, I don't know the level of it. What I know is we tend to dismiss it, don't we? Oh, that's for another, that person needed that. Jesus knew it, I'm not that way. But we don't hear the message in it, which is like, man, is my heart seduced? Because that's the danger Jesus is calling out. And then if you wanna know his heart, his heart is to give generously to those most in need. Now, here's the thing. I don't have how you're to do it, but man, I don't want you to miss the cautions of it when we don't or the heart of it when God does. He tells another story of a rich man and Lazarus. The rich man goes by Lazarus every day. Lazarus is a guy sitting and begging at the temple. He's a mess. And both Lazarus and the rich guy die, and we get a window into their eternity, and Lazarus is sitting at the, basically, right next to Abraham being comforted, and the rich guy's Literally, he's, he's in hell. He's a mess. And what it is, is he missed God's heart his whole life. That's what it really is telling us. And then he's begging God to send someone to teach his family so they won't miss it. And he goes, it's been taught their whole lives. If they missed it, they're not going to hear it because we go. It's a horrible caution, but the caution is from this. What happens when we see people most in need is what happened to him. He just walked past it. And we have lots of reasons we walk past it, don't we? Oh, it's not really going to help. Oh, they're going to take advantage of me. Oh, this is not the right thing. I mean, do you have your list of reasons that it's unhelpful to help people? Because I have mine too. I'm not dismissing, and I'm not even saying I know all to do. But let's be honest. We have a lot of reasons we don't help people, and instead we keep helping ourselves. And let me take it to the realm that's really where the core is, which is spiritually. See, because what we tell ourselves financially is, I've earned it, I know how to manage it well, they don't, it's a waste of resource, why would I do this, it's not even a good means. We start telling us all the reasons not to, but we don't see what happens in our hearts. And here's the crazy part. What we believe about our lives are that we are unable to fix our lives and we're in poverty spiritually. Meaning, you and I don't make good choices to get out of it, and we can't. In other words, we're a bad investment. Did you know we're a bad investment? And Jesus goes, I'm giving my life. 
I'm surrendering my life. This is the nature of giving, by the way. I'm laying down my life for you. He says that's the greatest love. I'm going to pay the price of your sin. I'm going to rise to give new life out of it. And I'm going to give you my spirit to live differently. Because in your poverty, I love you where you never could help yourself. And somehow when we look at that in a financial way, we ignore those things and say, that's on merit. This is on grace. And that's not the way of God. And unfortunately, when we do that, all we do is we make our hearts more and more seduced by our own future and our own wealth. Man, I'm just really enjoying the faces back right now. I know it's hard, but I know it's true. That's the part for me. Like, I'm saying this to me too, in case you don't realize it. I'm not pleased with my own life on this, but I think there's something here of going, if I'm gonna live like God lives, generosity is not a necessity because it brings about things later. It's the actual outplay of the kingdom that helps those most in need and most helpless and most hopeless. When Jesus opened the scroll to see his mission, he said, the spirit of the Lord's on me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to declare the year of his favor. That's to people that didn't earn it, didn't deserve it, and certainly don't know what to do with it. Isn't that you and me? Yes. When we give generously, we not only learn the heart of God, we help our hearts stay tender to our own poverty, our own brokenness, our own needs. When we don't, we begin to put ourselves in systems that say we're better than and more than. And that is dangerous. All right, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us believing that God wants to minister to us. I don't want this to be a chiding or a hostility. I want this to be an honesty that somehow God takes our system of economics and our system of wealth and goes, wrong system. Man, let go. You're banking on things that are so much less. It's funny when Jesus gives one of his teachings, he goes, he compares worldly wealth and he, wealth and he says, these little things just reveal what you do with big things. And we think exactly the opposite. He's going, the wealth is little things. Big things are how you love people and how you live your life with others and how you, but if we can't do this, how do we do this? I think God wants us, our hearts to be softened from being seduced. I think he wants our hearts to be like his that give generously. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna pray a confession together to close it out. Lord, so I ask that you'll meet us. As I said at the beginning, anything that's not from you, let it fall to the ground, let it be forgotten. But I do pray that what's true, where our hearts are hardened, Holy Spirit, would you search us and soften them that that seduction would lose its power and its tentacles on us, great and small. Help us to be free of those things. And Lord, we ask by the power of your spirit that Jesus would reveal to us your heart for those around us most in need and most struggling, that we will become people who give generously to the poor and those in need and live differently. God, show us that you've given us more to help those with less. And then I pray for any among us who feel less than and unworthy and unable that feel they're in poverty that way. Would you reveal your love to them? Help us to know, God, where we've elevated ourselves, bring us low, where we think we're better than, where we feel worthless and useless, would you show us our value to you? And I pray any that need and the desire to have you, their Lord, in their life, that they would receive you even now. I pray this in your name, and I ask you to lead us as we pray together now. 
So let me invite you to join me in this prayer that we've been praying over Lenten season. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. I want to give you one final picture before we worship and celebrate communion. There's this wonderful prophecy in Isaiah that's given about John the Baptist when Jesus comes. It says that God will take the elevated places and bring them low, and God will take the low places and bring them to, the, to ground zero, basically both. What he's saying is, for those of us who live with this ego that think we're better than, God's got to bring us low. For those of us who somehow feel less than and not worthy of, God wants to bring us to the place where his sons and daughters, by the way, all live in community, none greater and none lesser, but all of infinite value as sons and daughters. And make no mistake, the seduction of wealth makes this hard. God wants to do this in your lives. So I want to invite you to stand. We're going to worship and celebrate communion and ask God to do whatever work it is, bringing low, elevating, whatever it means that you'd see yourself infinitely valued and see others that way, even as we worship and wait on him to change us. for a few minutes as we celebrate communion. You know, the premise of everything we've said today is that God himself is greater than anything you would acquire or have. That what God is offering is better than not take some suffering so that. That who he is is better than anything that artificially elevates us temporarily. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks. When we celebrate communion, you'll have a cup that has the bread and the drink. 
we do this with no stipulations that you have to be a member here, but we want you to pursue Jesus because this is really a receiving of what he's done. He meets us in our poverty and in all the bad decisions that would never get us out and invest in us in a way. Like he doesn't invest in us, he transforms us. That's what he does. He break, broke the bread, he said, this is my body and it's given for you. And by the way, Paul says we're all one loaf, none greater and none lesser. All that junk outside of the church is gone because you and I were infinitely loved sons and daughters. Let's take this bread. In the same way Jesus took the cup, he said, it's a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Greater love has no one than to lay down their life for their friends. That is giving generosity. That's the nature of who God is. And the more we discover living that way, the more we discover and become like him. And it's more rewarding. It is sweet to the taste. Let's take. Lord, I ask again that you'd impart grace to us in the places where we have become arrogant and elevated. We do ask you'd bring us low gently and kindly. In the places we feel unworthy and less than, would you elevate and remind us where your love, cherished sons and daughters. And God, even in communion, could we begin to see others through the lens of your eyes, others' needs and burdens, and love each other and love those around us in ways that are sacrificial and generous. God, continue to lead us to become yours that we would see more deeply how you live in love and we reflect that in our character of how we do it as well. I pray this in your name, amen. Let's stand together and worship. into Lent, and I'm hoping you're getting space and time to journey with us, to slow down, to invite God's loving presence to both convict and awaken you, and really discover more of who he is and what his character is like, that we would become more like him by the strength and help of his spirit. I, I, uh, I love being challenged for something better. 
because we all know the things we live for are not enough and they're really not reliable and nobody's going to write a check to throw in our coffin either it's just not going to happen so maybe place your hands out I want to give you a blessing as you go may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with his spirit may the spirit soften your heart and disentangle it where it is seduced by wealth May the very presence of Jesus and love of the Spirit begin to open your eyes to those around, that you would cultivate the heart of God to give generously and help those most in need, that you would discover how he is and how he lives, that you would live like it for his glory, your joy, and the love and kingdom building in others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.